Hello, and this is Step Back Sisterhood, part of Blue Wire. I'm one of your hosts, Britt. You can find us on Twitter at Step Back Sisters. We have a great episode for you today. Tara, Janelle, Amber, and I will be speaking with Leslie Olayele, the hardwood diva, about the social justice experience that was seen in the NBA and WNBA, along with many other topics. Let's head over to Tara now to kick things off. Today, we are so happy to be joined by Leslie Olayele, also known as the Hardwood Diva on Twitter. Leslie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Um, We've got a big topic to discuss in a moment, but before we kind of dive in, wondering if you could just like introduce yourself a couple sentences about like who you're a fan of and, you know, what teams you like. Okay, sure. Um, I am a Los Angeles native, though I do not cheer for either the Lakers or the Clippers. <laughs> hey. Surprise there. Um, my husband's a huge Laker fan. <laughs> my whole family are Laker fans, and I am not. Um, but my whole life, I've been just fans of different players, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Allen Iverson. Uh, so I just kind of followed them where they were. Um, but I've always been a huge basketball fan, um, Hardwood Diva kind of was birthed from that. I've always wanted to have something in sports, talk about sports. I often found myself in the most exciting arguments with people about (laughs) basketball. So uh, that is where we are. And that I, now I just argue with people on Twitter about it. So thanks again though, for having me. I really appreciate it. That is awesome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, my first question to you is when the Bucks had their uh, plan for a walkout, or what was your thoughts? What came to your mind when you heard about the Bucks uh, spurring it? Um, honestly, the first thought I had was this is awesome um, because I know that even though I was a person that was definitely in agreement with getting the bubble started. Um, and definitely wasn't one of the people that thought it would distract from um, social justice measures. I understood completely why, especially as a team where uh, this happened, that they would make that decision, um, especially having um, a player on their team that had had personally um, had issues with police in their city. I completely understood why it kind of, just became a, you know what, we can't do any, we can't continue as is without some sort of acknowledgement of it. And this is the best way to make a statement. So I I completely understood. And I was actually very excited. I was really excited to see kind of, okay, where's this going to go next? I have my many different views on the (laughs) And I also have my many different views about the, the stance they took. Uh, I'll just give you my views before I ask my question. I didn't like the bubble idea at first. I wasn't quite sure about safety precautions and things like that. My mom's a nurse, so she comes home and reads the CDC numbers to me every day. Um, so I'm kind of, it's close to home for me, I guess you can say. So I wasn't quite sure how the bubble would work, but they finished the bubble with zero positive tests, which was great. Excellent. And the NFL has a positive test, seems like, every day. Um, and I wasn't quite sure about the protest. I thought if you want to sacrifice something, you could have sacrificed the season. That's the big sacrifice. But athletes aren't built today like they were built back in the 60s because 
being an athlete now is more of like a brand. So you're a brand. It's more like a business. Um, I'm going to ask this question. Did you have any problems on your social media networks with conflicting views about how you felt as a black woman uh, opposed to how, I guess, wider, uh, wider America felt? Um, I also have personal uh, ties when it comes to COVID. My husband is a ER nurse. So, and I have three small children and especially at the beginning of this, literally every day, my husband came home, would get undressed, like put on other clothes in the car, put everything in a bag, come upstairs, not touch our children, say hi, that's it, run upstairs, take a shower before he even came down. So it's almost an hour before he actually can come and interact with us. So it's definitely very personal for us. We still deal with that every day, um, you know, when he's at work. So I totally had that as well um, of understanding how serious it was. And uh, Tara and I spoke about this a few times when we initially talked about just the idea of how is this going to work? Like you said, they were able to make it out and they did all of the safety precautions and it works for them. Um, as a black woman, um, it was, I never really had too many Conflicting. I, I wasn't the conf, the conflict I had, of course, is as a basketball fan. Um, and like I said, initially you have that idea of I never was truly like they shouldn't do it, but I did understand the players like the Kyrie's that thought, okay, this is distracting. I could see both sides of the argument. So because of that, it was just kind of this decision of having to make with you know within yourself. It's the same thing I kind of had with the NFL and Kaepernick of completely understanding the decision he made and then having to make a decision myself because I was like huge into the NFL, huge into um, doing fantasy football and like had my own fantasy football team, was doing fantasy um, breakdowns every week and having to make that decision of, you know, what am I, in a sense, what am I truer to? But I knew what I was sure to do. When I'm at home, when I'm outside, nobody knows that I love basketball. They see me as a black woman, a mother of black children, wife of a black husband, everybody in family black. I, that's, you know, my experience. So I had to, I always saw that first. And I completely understood why they were making the decisions they were making, like you said, as brands. It's very difficult to just give up. Not just all, you don't want to say just all the money, but it's very difficult to give up that power that they do have. And a lot of that power they have from playing basketball. So I completely understand why they made the decision to com continue playing because they felt like the platform that they have when people are watching them consistently is still very helpful to the cause. Everybody has a different role to play within a social justice movement. And I just thought, hey, that's fine. That's the role that they have to play. I guess speaking of that, um, you know, you were mentioning that conflict between understanding that the players in the NBA have a branding, you know, sort of aspect where they couldn't necessarily not go and do this. And they also have, you know, for many of them, sort of a sort of an obligation. I, I don't know if that's um, the word to be used as a, you know, the vast or the majority of the players are black to be quite frank in the NBA. So my question is, 
Did you see anything during the time in the bubble that you did not like uh, or something that was like sort of disappointing as part of the process or did you think it was mostly positive? Um, overall, I thought it was positive. Um, one of the things that I did think was a bit, I don't want to say overdone, um, but the slogans on the back of the jerseys, I understood where they were going. But a lot of the issue that I did see were some of them were just um, very vague. And it was like group economics. Well, what does that mean? You know, and no one's truly explaining that part of things to people. Now, they did do very well. I do want to say the NBA um, with many of the broadcasts where a lot of people explained what each, like when they were talking about players, they would explain what some of their slogans meant or they would explain Kind of their positioning especially if they were very vocal about their positioning um i do understand a lot of people just didn't want to even more so on the brand side just didn't want to talk about it so they just came up with the vaguest of vague slogans to throw on the back of their jerseys and i felt like okay well this is a bit overdone and you're not really telling me anything with group economics well what does that mean to you and how were we <laughs> discussing that um, and how do you see that within our wider social justice movement? But for the most part, um, I've always felt like the NBA in general, I think because of the fact that they are a, a huge majority um, Black league, that they, especially within the last few years, have done a very good job of uh, dealing with social justice issues. So I did not, I think they had a lot of input from players, so they were able to make moves and make decisions that actually did not look too overdone but the slogans definitely was one of the things where especially the longer you got into the boat was like okay group ending economics okay how many more and i understood some of the ones that they had but it was just like i got to the point too where i'm in the playoffs and i'm like okay who what what name what's your name i don't see your name and we're watching basketball right now like i i need to see your name so this isn't helpful personally to what we're discussing. So, so I I really liked the slogans. <laughs> I thought I thought that they were going to I thought they were going to blend in, you know, mm. after a while and to me like they didn't and I and I kept seeing them over and over again and thinking why did you do that? But I really like what you said about how they didn't do a lot of talk about some of them that were a little bit more like Group economics. Okay, I know there's a really important concept there, and I know like like was it Serge Ibaka who was wearing that one, and he's like, sorry, yeah. I mean, he's very into like economics. I've heard him mm -hmm. talk about all that stuff. Um, but uh, what I was going to ask is some of of the stuff that the NBA enacted during this whole time. Mm -hmm. um, do you think any of it is going to um, carry forward? Like what, which parts do you think would be most likely to carry forward or would be most effective if carried forward? Um, honestly, I mean, I personally think the most effective thing to carry forward are the players. This year, having the, the slogans on the jerseys, having Black Lives Matter, on the court, um, I do believe it's helpful. I definitely believe Black Lives Matter on the court going forward, something that is also that could be helpful. But I think most important is the players. What to me 
were the interviews that were had before and after on game days um, when they were in practices. Those are the things that actually became the most talked about um, and what was shown most consistently throughout the time in the bubble. We had Doc Rivers' comments um, where he got um, very emotional. That carried on national news, on CNN, on Fox News, on um, MSNBC. That carried to me and that held much more weight than even some of those slogans on their jerseys, even more than the Black Lives Matter on the, on the court. People were listening. They were using their time to talk about what was going on. And every player, they would start their interview talking about what was, you know, the most important issue of all of those to them. So consistently talking about Breonna Taylor, consistently talking about George Floyd. Um, when you saw that, that to me was much more helpful than a slogan on a jersey, which for some people, yes, if you're someone that maybe – you're not familiar with a lot of that stuff. I think personally, I probably, I, I, I'm a political science major, African American studies <laughs> major. So those things are things that I have been, have been a part of my life for like 20 years, but for other people that might be helpful. But for me, them consistently talking about it was probably the most helpful. And if they consistently do that beyond this, that I think is what's going to carry more weight than anything else is hearing the players talk about that and seeing that they have a consistent um, message across the board. Every player you had that same, almost every player you had that same um, type of reaction. Every time they talked, they made sure to bring that up. They made sure to use their platform they had right there to talk about the issues that they knew were most pressing. Okay. The players obviously have their influence. Another uh, another part another uh, party that has influence are the owners. Mm -hmm. And my question to you is, what responsibility do you think the owners have into moving uh, the message along? How can they keep the conversation going? How can they even start an another conversation that's you know that's more impactful? Um, I think they have – the players have a large influence when it comes to front-facing. The owners have a, a large influence when it comes to the back end. So when you find out that the NBA's um, owners are some of the most uh, – some of the largest donors to several of these conservative organizations and uh, politicians that – are diametrically opposed to Black Lives Matter and the social justice movements that have been going for for the last about at least the last six to seven years. Um, that's where you find out that, okay, they have no problem letting you talk on the front end as long as on the back end, no one knows that they're doing that. Uh, so I think that's probably the most, they have a huge influence um, in the boardrooms, in the, uh, the, the country clubs. Because when they go and they meet with their friends and the people that are not watching basketball necessarily every day, the everyday fan, that's where their influence is going to be more impactful. And I think the players just need to consistently hold their feet to the fire. Um, it's not 
to say that you have to tell people how to vote or how to feel. You can have a conservative versus liberal idea. That's fine. Um, but within social justice, many people believe that should not be a partisan issue. That's bipartisan. People living and not having to have fear about the cops or some random neighbor that doesn't think you belong shooting you in your back because you're running down their street. Um, that to me should not be an issue that is at odds with anybody's political party. And so I believe that when they start holding the owner's feet to the fire more consistently, that's when you're going to see them making more moves. Now, of course, it's been helpful that they're okay with you making these public statements. Um, but now it's, okay, the next step is, this is what we do. So I think that is probably the next step, you know, over the next few years is um, doing that. And I think when you have the players like the LeBrons, especially also the Chris Pauls who are hugely involved and are very much so into making this a not just the bubble, not just today, this is a consistent issue. Um, when you have that, I think it's going to be more impactful. And I think that's one of the things too with Milwaukee. That was helpful because their players basically held their owner accountable as well. Like, okay, no, what you're going to do too is see that this is important to us and we just won't play. And so that was one of the things where I thought, okay, well, this is helpful because then their owner had to come out and make a statement as well. Also, I do have a follow-up. There's been talks about the collective bargaining agreement. That's going to be coming up into play sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. How do you, what do you think um, this social justice movement what would affect that, you know, between the players and the owners? Um, I think this might be a time where they, the players have become definitely much more, um, they've had a lot more input. Um, these are players that, like we have, we talked about earlier, they are brands themselves. And I don't want to say they don't need the NBA as much, but because they're making those decisions outside of the court, um, it allows them to make better decisions when it comes to collective bargaining and making sure that everybody has the same advantages of the LeBrons, the Chris Balls, the Kevin Durants, the Steph Currys. Because, of course, they're the top tier. They're the ones that they can start a media company. Um, they can, you know, get signed to these large agencies. But they're also setting it up that other players can do some of those things as well. And so I think that, um, of course, the owners, you know, it's one thing to be able to pay, you know, for you to make $100 million over the life of your career. It's another thing to be able to pay a few people $100 million over the life of a career. So um, it's going to take time, but I do think it's um, definitely going to be a, a big, I think it'll be a big piece of this next collective bargaining agreement. And I think um, if the owners want um, to not, you know, if they want this to, to move forward, that they're going to have to start making some concessions. Um, and it'll be more than just putting money towards organizations. Um, it'll be kind of putting their own personal face to some of those and actually having to talk about and discuss those things themselves. I'll follow up. <clears throat> you talk about owners. That's a, that's a good segue for me because Kyrie talked about ownership and people thought Kyrie was crazy when he talked about ownership. The players have a lot of power and they have more power than people think they have. 
And I think a problem with the owners, as, as we like to call them, if there were more African-American owners, I think it would be great. I think that the NBA players are going to, that's the next step for them after they get done with their careers. I know LeBron said he wants to own a team. Um, and I'm pretty sure Kevin Durant will probably be that same boat because they're going to make that amount of money. I mean, these super max deals are getting every year that that number goes up. Mm-hmm. So my question for you is, do you think if the NBA had more color in their ownership that things would be different? On the ownership side, yes, um, I definitely do. Because, of course, like we're saying, the NBA overall, the players, um, this is probably one of the most – This, I mean, not one of the – it is the best organization, I believe, when it, or the best league when it comes to discussing social justice issues um, outside – well, men's league. The WNBA is amazing at discussing social yeah. justice issues. Oh, yeah. And they, yeah. bro, they blow the brothers out of the water. Um, when it comes to that, but, um, I definitely believe that, um, if they had more ownership, yes, of course. Um, I do still believe that, of course, when it comes to, um, sometimes when it comes to getting to a place like that, of how much money you have, there still can be some political differences that you may have between, yourself in the average person. Um, but I still believe that having that personal experience and being a person that can speak to this is something that happened to me. You know what I mean? Like you have, like I said, Sterling Brown, you have, um, say if he was an owner, he'd be able to talk about the fact that I was abused by a police officer. And so this is not a, um, issue that comes, you know, that I, I don't understand. So I think the more, um, just like any other organization, the more diversity you have within the ownership ranks, you definitely will have a difference. Um, you'll begin to have a difference. But of course, it's going to be more than just the one or two, because usually when it's one or two, sometimes it's harder to be that person that has to stand up to, at that point, like 28, 29 other owners. So if you're, you know, if you got about six or seven, you're getting to 10, then you're starting to get a, a collective group of people that can tell you, these are the things that happen on a consistent basis. They're not crazy. They're not making these things up. It's not about, you should have put your hands on the wheel. You should have listened to what somebody said. Um, so I think you would have uh, a bit of a difference within the ownership ranks if you had more black owners. Great. So, um, Leslie, you just mentioned that, you know, the NBA is the best male league when it comes to social justice, but the WNBA, of course, is a lot better when it comes to that. Um, I guess for those folks who probably don't follow the WNBA as much as the NBA, um, do you have an example of two of how either during the bubble or just in general, the WNBA has been leading, I think just the league or, you know, the professional leagues in the North America in general, when it comes to social justice. Um, Yeah. I mean, consistently that within the last six years since, you know, a lot, well, seven years, I believe it is. Um, a lot of people, eight, eight years, goodness, it's 2000, that was 2012. I'm thinking about Trayvon Martin. Um, I believe that was 2012. Um, and so since then, which was what we would can kind of consider the model, modern social justice movement, um, 
the WNBA has been consistent in, you know, the sh- wearing shirts, um, speaking to it within their own press conferences. Um, the uh, Atlanta Dream speaking up directly to their owner and saying, you're a senator. We don't agree with you. We don't agree with what you're saying and what you're saying about the movement that we are personally involved in. So we're saying vote for the other person. Um, So that is very, that's putting their money on the line. It's not just a, um, I'm talking about it while I have this platform, which is, like I said, like I was also saying before, I think too, of course, there's the differences of where they are um, as um, economically. Um, So of course, I believe the men have a much larger platform just because of it's men's sports. Um, and I think, but I think also the women have a, we have, black women have always been at the forefront of movements, um, all of the social justice movements, to be honest with you. So I think black women just feel like we have, what do we have to lose by standing up for ourselves and standing up for everybody else? So they just go, you know what, what you gonna do? You have, you know, like you they they step up and they stand out consistently. They push the man forward every single time. Um, and that's black women. That's white women within the organizations. That's all the women within the WA NBA consistently are pushing the men to make better decisions. Um, and it's amazing to see. Um, of course, you you want to see them get more uh, shine because of that, because then you have people that consistently go, well, LeBron is doing this. And you're like, no, 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 <laughs> let's talk about the women. Um, but you understand, I mean, you understand, unfortunately, kind of that side of things. But I think that um, there's so many things to point to when it comes to the WNBA and what they're doing to lead all uh, North American leagues on discussing these issues. You brought up, um, you know, all this incredible work that um, the WNBA is doing. And then also one of the things I think that we saw in the bubble is that NBA players support the WNBA in a lot of ways. I mean, there was Kyrie who like actually supported with cash money uh, for the women who chose to not play in the WNBA bubble. Um, And then, but also just, you know, um, the NBA players as fans of the league, as fans of the game that they play and as fans of the women who are so good at the game that they also are, uh, play. It kind of leads to my next question about um, fans. And that is that um, with all of this work that the NBA did and the NBA players did, what do you think we as fans can do to continue on that work, especially now that the season is over and we're not gathered on Twitter, you know, <laughs> to tweet at each other and say our things. And like, mm-hmm. we're kind of all scattered to the wind and we don't really know what's going to happen next. Um, I think the most important thing right now to do, of course, is vote. Um, that is huge and not just vote for the top of the ticket, vote consistently down the line, because I think, this time has also helped so many more people see that just the president doesn't make rules. <laughs> well, he actually makes zero rules. <laughs> the legislator does. And that's the, um, on the federal level, that's state level, that's local level. Um, so I, that's been probably one of the things I've been 
so amazed to see is how many is seeing their voter drives, seeing so many arenas being used as um, early vote and voting um, destinations. That's just like being polling places. It's been amazing. I love to see that. Um, but I think probably the most important thing is to take what you've learned and either do more research if you're not, um, if you don't have as much information. I think we could all research different things that maybe we don't know about. Um, but even the slogans, like we're discussing, if you want to look up group economics, if that's something you're not familiar with, um, start really paying attention to because a lot of the players still with still outside of the bubble consistently talk about a lot of these things. They're talking about buy black. They're talking about bank black. They're talking about um, opportunity zones. They're talking about local level politics. So start really researching those things and not just taking it from what the NBA players are saying, the WNBA players are saying, actually start doing your own personal research and pushing the people around you. Um, that's always been something that I've liked to do. Like I said, I'm a political science uh, major. That was what I, I, that's another healthy discourse I like to, <laughs> to partake in on uh, Twitter sometimes. Um, but I think that's probably the most important thing that we can do as fans is to take what they were talking to us about and actually apply it to our lives, apply it to the people around us. Um, use that to sit down and look at your ballot if you're going to be doing a vote by mail. Like I'm in California, everybody, you know, got a vote by mail. So what did I do? Me and my husband do this all the time anyway, but I literally take out all of the stuff and look at every single one of those uh, different measures. Um, do that kind of stuff. Really start investigating the things that we are, that are talked about on the news and see how they apply to you, see how they apply to the things that you say are important to you. Um, I think that's probably the most impactful thing that we can do as fans from here on out. Cool. Earlier in our conversation, you mentioned about how the slogans were vague. And me personally, I think that they were playing it safe. If it were up to you, what slogans uh, would you have created? What would you have done to kind of get the message across versus, you know, with the league done? Okay. So, like I said, the group economics one was kind of vague to me. Um, if you want to be more specific, say bank black. Say buy black because that's mostly what you're talking about. You want... Um, that's the whole idea of group economics is making sure that within the black community that they're being supported within the black community by other black people and other groups of people are supporting these uh, companies, supporting banks that offer amazing loan opportunities for people in the black community that unfortunately do, they don't get from the larger banks. So um, you have the issue of like the PPP, the, um, loans that were offered to businesses um, for uh, relief after COVID and then finding out that 90% of black um, owned businesses that applied for those loans did not get those loans. Um, so understanding that. So if you want to talk about group economics, get a little bit more specific about what you're talking about because the group you're talking about are black people. So just say it. That, so that was probably the most, and, um, I, I love Andre Iguodala, even though he went to U of A and I'm an Arizona State person, but um, 
I just thought that was something where he could have been a little bit more specific about what he actually meant, because I think that's more helpful in people understanding what you actually want. Yes, I agree. And Andre is smart. And I think he know what, knew what he was doing when he, you know, said group economics instead of Bible necklace because I don't think that would have uh, been received well. But anyway, <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy how dollars circulate outside of the black community. It, it goes like at the snap of your fingers, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think that's what he was talking about. Yeah, I definitely would agree that um, within the last few years, even like me personally, I have several friends that have started businesses. And so I've become much more conscious of where I spend my money. Um, In 2017, my husband and I both removed ourselves from one of the larger banks um, and made the decision to go with One United Bank, which is the largest black bank in the country. And um, I've had a wonderful experience. And now every time I talk to people, no matter what color they are, I tell them about it because it's an amazing bank and they do great work within the community and they're trying to make sure that um, people of all colors have the same opportunities. So like you said, I understand why he made the decision to do it because unfortunately when you say stuff and you just say black, people are like, well, what about everybody else? Um, But of course, this is what we're currently discussing. This is what we're talking about. Um, but I definitely think it's more helpful to be more specific. And I think, um, that conversation is definitely important to have because there are so many black businesses that have suffered, uh, especially with the, the COVID pandemic. And I think talking about them, letting people know about them so that those dollars are circulated within the community, um, it's helpful Then you have more people that are either owning their own businesses, um, are employed by these businesses. Um, it's so helpful. And we, you're starting a cycle of people, of groups, of, of a community that is more dependent on themselves and not, you know, and some of these people, you know, not having to be dependent on anybody else. I'll just say that. I, you know what? Like I studied before, the bubble kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But I'm happy it <laughs> happened. I'm happy everything went through with the bubble. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk a little bit away from the NBA a little bit because you're a sports fan, so I know you watch other things. Mm-hmm. It seems like some of these coaches were forced to talk about things they didn't want to talk about. Mm-hmm. I know, you know, in the SEC, that's the South, you know, the SEC is, is, is the South, and we know how the South is. Mm-hmm. The Big 12, you kind of get a mix because you kind of get the South a little bit. You get the Midwest. Uh, the Pac-12 is West Coast. Big East is the you know East Coast. The ACC has some of those Confederate states in it. So, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, you know. the South there, too. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's still there. My question to you is, do you feel like some of these coaches were forced to speak out because they do? typically recruit black players. Um, they go into these neighborhoods, have no idea what these neighborhoods look like. They cannot, they cannot identify with these neighborhoods. Do you think some of these coaches were forced to speak out because the players kind of forced their hands? Or do you think it came from a genuine place? I'm having a hard time trying to decipher that. Um, I do believe, of course, some are forced. Some didn't even really 
care mm-hmm. to yeah. be on brand with some of this stuff. It was a lot of that other stuff just still kind of seeped out. Um, and I think some people are, for lack of a better term, just ignorant and not in a, I don't want to say not in a negative way. Cause I mean, it's not really positive to be ignorant, but not in a intentionally harmful way. I believe some people, I believe some of them, just like you said, don't know black people's experience outside of the football players that are, you know, that are players, I won't just say football, but largely football, but outside of the players that they experience. Um, so unfortunately their experience with black players is overall, they have a view of what they believe black community looks like. And so because of that, they recruit a certain type of player for the most part. So because of that, they, feel pressure to, to say something. Um, but I, I want to believe that all of them are not being forced to say something. I do want to believe that some of them might just be, I'd say willfully ignorant because I mean, you're a grown man, you should probably figure out life. Um, as black people, as a black person, I went to Arizona state. Like I said, I have ex- had to experience life with non-black people my whole life so i have to understand how other people's like how other people operate um i think a lot of people you know a lot of especially white people um, coaches in general especially they're generally at a higher um wealth class and so because of that they don't experience a lot of other people a lot of difference within their own community so because of that they don't understand how other people live they don't even understand how like middle-class black people live. So there's a disconnect. And because of that, they're ignorant. They don't know what experiences are had in that some of these experiences, many of these experiences happen across the board, whether you're a poor black person, uh, rich black person, wealthy black person, middle-class black person. Um, so I, I do believe that there are several people that just, like, oh, I got to do this because I got to walk into somebody's house and they're not going to like me tomorrow. So I have to say what I have to say. I think some of them uh, truly are kind of ignorant to certain things. So I think you saw some of them that genuinely, I believe, probably this was a wake-up call to them. And now it's like, oh, so what What do I do? What, what have, I, have I been messing this up? Uh, yeah, you, you've been messing it up. But um, I, I think it's important to give them a chance to, to make the, to make a, to do better. But I mean, unfortunately, I I think it's a mixed bag. I think you really do have some that just don't really care, but they'll pretend to care because they need their players. I asked that because Lincoln Riley, I went to university of Oklahoma. So Mm -hmm. that's where I graduated from. And he's closer to my age. I think he's probably two years older than me. Mm -hmm. And he was able to get, he asked his players what they wanted to do. He was able to get all their players. And they dressed up in black and they did certain things like that. But he's closer to my age. A lot of these coaches are older. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the generation is different. You know, they're, they're, they probably still remember calling black people colored. Yeah. So that's why I said that because Lincoln Riley is so young, he can relate to the players at the University of Oklahoma and say, hey, what do you guys want? What do you guys need from me? And he's being very receptive. Oklahoma's a red state. Oklahoma's very conservative. Oklahoma's very Trump 
like my neighborhood i live in the suburbs so my neighborhood is a trump flag probably on 20 my neighborhood is huge so there's a trump flag probably every other house um i don't go out at night um i kind of stay within my little bubble mm -hmm. i guess you can call it <laughs> <laughs> to be on the safe side because I don't know how you feel about me because of how you feel about him. Yeah. So I kind of just kind of protect myself, but that's why I want to ask that question because I had mixed views too. I was like, well, I feel like he's kind of like Dabo Sweeney. He said something and he kind of completely went around the circle, you know, like he was just like, okay. And then Drew Brees said something and stuck his whole foot in his mouth. Oh, I didn't mean it. You, you live in New Orleans, dude. Like you, just shut up. <laughs> like, if you don't have anything good to say, just don't say anything at all. That's how I am. That's how I feel. If you ask me something, my major was law and society, and I was going to go to law school. So politics, law, all that. So hey, hey, we're here. But also, I had a minor in human relations. So there you go. <laughs> so you got to read the room, dude. You got to read the room. And I'm trying to read the room with some of these coaches and also some of these players, but it's kind of hard to read because you don't know what's real and what's not. And it's kind of difficult to kind of decipher between the two. So that's why I asked your thoughts on that. Okay. Yeah. And I think a lot of them, especially within football, it's such a, unfortunately having people that I'm close to um, when I went to ASU, I was a lot, I was good friends with a lot of the football players. Um, so I have friends that are still playing football. I have friends that have played um, friends that are coaching now. Unfortunately, in comparison to basketball, football is definitely still very segregated, even within their locker rooms. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because if you honestly look at it, football positioning is still very segregated. Mm -hmm. So you have black players are known to be certain positions. White players are known to be certain positions. Mm -hmm. So because of that, and that's a lot of the times how they separate you when you go on um, your trips. Mm -hmm. So yep. you go on your trips and it's like, oh, well, the quarterbacks, are together the running backs are together the o-line is together so you're still getting a lot of that um segregation and unfortunately you may be on a team and that's what people kind of fail to realize so be like well you've been playing with black people your whole life and it's like but yeah he's on a team with black people but how many of those black people are like really his friends because people will say oh we're friends and then people have to go well how many times has that person been to your house how many times has that person met your children and your children and their children play together? So you have to, so I think a lot of people think, especially in a situation like Drew Brees, you think you know these black people and you think you understand what's going on, but you don't really because you're not really going outside of your own personal bubble um, to say. So you can be in New Orleans and in, be around black people, but you're not really interacting with black people. Black people are probably helping you do stuff. Black people work where you work. But are those black people, any of those black people really your friends? Really people that if you had a conversation with them, they're going to be honest to you with you about some of your views about things. And so I think that's the issue that you have with a lot of the players and a lot of the coaches. They're around black people. But are they actually listening to the black people? Are they actually having conversations with black people or are those black people just around and they're using them to tell people about their two black friends? Yeah, that's a problem. That's <laughs> and um, I would love to go further into that conversation, but unfortunately I have to be the person to wrap it up. Um, Leslie, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you for being 
here and being our first, uh, I guess, guinea pig, so to speak, when it comes to interviewing. Um, before we wrap up, can you give the listeners your social media links or other things that you want to mention? Okay. So I am uh, Hardwood Diva on Twitter um, and also Hardwood Diva at Hardwood Diva on Instagram. Um, but yeah, I'm mostly on Twitter, give you my fun and exciting um, rants on anything from sports, entertainment, politics, and being the mom of three kids under six years old. <laughs> Well, How you have time is amazing. <laughs> I, I got them out of the house today, and that was like the blessing of all blessings. So I'm supposed to go meet them where they are. I'm kind of going to say I'm here a little longer than it was. Um, but, but yeah, so that's, that's usually where you can find me. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Leslie. I hope you have a great rest of your day. All right. Thank you, guys. I really enjoyed thank it. You. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. <laughs> I want to again thank Leslie for being on the show today. You can find her on Twitter at Hardwood Diva. That's it for the show. Please follow Step Back Sisterhood on Twitter at Step Back Sister One, or you can follow each of us on there as well. Tara is at TCB Biggs. Janelle is at Janelle 12. Amber is at Simply Me underscore AV. And I'm at Britt Robotista. If you love listening to the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. We'll talk to you next time on Step Back Sisterhood.